Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. This is a special bonus podcast on the history. It's a brief history of the children of Israel. In the last conference, just last Sunday, President Nelson said, as you study your scriptures during the next six months, I encourage you to make a list of all the Lord has promised he will do for covenant Israel. I think you will be astounded. Well, the next two chapters that we're going to go over and Come Follow Me, chapters 20 and 21, are deep and rich in the writings of Isaiah concerning the gathering of Israel preceded by the scattering of Israel. And in understanding this and really to get a good knowledge of it, you at least have a basic understanding of their history. So I decided to record this podcast for that reasons. And this is, like I said, just the basics of the children of Israel. And first, when we talk about Israel, who are we talking about? And to answer that question, we need to go back further in time to Israel's grandfather. In Genesis, we read about Abram, who escaped from his father, who tried to sacrifice him to Elkanah, who was a pagan or Egyptian god. He escaped and he married Sariah. Abram made covenants with the Lord, which is where we get the three Ps that I talked about in the last podcast. And those three Ps are property, which is the promised land and also worlds to create, priesthood, which is the power and authority of God to govern and to create, and finally, posterity, both here on the earth and also spiritual posterity as creators after final judgment in the resurrected form. And at this point, Abram changed his name to Abraham and Sariah changed to Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old when they had their only son, Isaac. Well, I, I should mention that because they were unable to have children for so long, Sarah gave her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham as a wife, and Ishmael was born. Now, they were eventually separated when Isaac was born, and Sarah asked for Hagar and Ishmael to be sent away. They were sent away, but it says that God took care of them, okay, and he blessed them. And actually, Ishmael's descendants, along with the descendants from Abraham's other wives later on, uh, namely Keturah, are the modern-day Arabic people. So back to Isaac, who is the birthright and through whom the covenant is maintained. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a symbol of Heavenly Father sacrificing his son, Jesus Christ. Isaac was spared at the very last moment by the Lord, if you'll remember. And then a ram was provided, and they sacrificed the ram instead. Now you have Isaac, and Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Now Esau is the birthright, which means he was the first one born of the two. And that also means that he gets a double share of the inheritance so that he can take care of his mothers and his sisters and the family estate. The story of Esau is well known. He sells his birthright to Jacob for pottage. Right? He comes back from hunting and he's tired, he's hungry, and, and Jacob has made a mess of pottage. And Esau says, give me some for I'm starving to death, basically. And Jacob says, I'll give you some pottage if you give me the birthright. And Esau very melodramatically says, what good is a birthright if you're not around to, to receive it because you're starving to death? And that is where Jacob takes over the birthright. But he still has to get a blessing from his father for that birthright. Now, Esau at this point kind of made it worse as well because he goes out and he marries a Hittite, which is outside the covenant. And, and that makes his parents fairly upset. Well, later on, Rebecca helps Jacob receive that birthright blessing that we were talking about from Isaac. 
by cooking up a goat and taking it so that it tastes like venison and coating his arms with fur so that he tricks Isaac into thinking that, that Jacob is Esau. The trick works and Isaac blesses Jacob with the birthright and Jacob takes on the same covenants that Isaac took on and the same covenants that Abraham took on, which is the Abrahamic covenant, which is why it's referred to over and over as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the scriptures. Jacob now needs to get married and he finds the the love of his life the daughter of Laban. And he works for Laban for seven years to marry his beloved Rachel. But on the wedding night, Laban, in a tricky sort of manner, veils his oldest daughter, Leah, and marries Leah to Jacob. And Jacob doesn't figure this out until the morning, having been a probably pretty big celebration, apparently. And when he approaches his father-in-law, now new father-in-law Laban, and says, hey, what's the deal? You tricked me. He allows him to marry Rachel, but he has to work another seven years after that. Now we get into the children of Jacob. And the first wife is Leah, and the second wife is Rebekah. And then there'll be two more wives after that. Now Leah has a son whose name is Reuben. He's the first son, and he's actually the birthright son at this point. She also has Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Rebecca struggled to get pregnant, and because of this, she gives her handmaid, whose name is Bilhah, to Jacob to bear sons for her. And she bears two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Well, Leah sees what's happening here, and, and she's a little bit, there's always a little bit of a rivalry here, sibling slash wife rivalry. And Leah gives her handmaid, Zilpah, to Jacob as well, and she bears Gad and Asher. Now, Leah, after that, then has two more sons, Issachar and Zebulon. And as a side note, she does have a daughter also named Dinah, but that's not terribly relevant to this history, but it it explains to some extent why Simeon and Levi also lose the birthright, and it falls to some extent, like I said, just to some extent, to Judah. And, And it's through Judah where, of course, the Savior's lineage is found. Finally, after many years, the Lord had mercy on poor Rachel, and she bore Joseph. And of course, Joseph was Abraham's favorite. This is where you get Joseph in his coat of many colors. And then later, Rebekah gets pregnant again, and she gives birth to Benjamin, but dies in childbirth. And this gives Jacob a total of 12 sons. Now, at this point in history, Jacob has a pretty large family, I think we would agree, And he decides that he's going to leave the land of Laban, which is his father-in-law, and he's going to establish his own land and and do things the way that he wants to do things. And this is a point of contention with Laban, but they, they make amends and they reconcile. And then he has to go and make peace with his older brother by a couple minutes, Esau, who is now called Edom. And, and he gets settled in his own land and he makes the same covenant and he's blessed with the same things that, that his father, Isaac, and also his grandfather, Abraham, made. And it's at this point that he changes his name to Israel. So that's who Israel is. Now let's talk about the descendants of Israel and where we get to in modern day. Reuben was the oldest son born to Leah, who is the first wife, and that makes him the birthright. However, He lost his birthright by fooling around with his father's concubine, Bilhah. 
So the birthright fell to Joseph, who was the firstborn of the second wife. And we know that Rachel was a favorite, so Joseph was also uh, Israel's favorite or Jacob's favorite. It was at the same time that Benjamin was born and Rachel dies in childbirth. And Joseph is then sold into Egypt. And when he's sold into Egypt, we know the story. He, he works in the house of Potiphar. He's thrown in jail. Uh, then he makes his way up to being Pharaoh's right-hand man and is the brainchild on how to prepare during the seven years of plenty and then also how to store all this food and redistribute it and, and do what needs to be done during the seven years of famine. And it's at this time that he rescues his brothers and his father and his wives. He also reclaims his inherited birthright. Now, while he was in Egypt, he had two sons. The older was Manasseh and the younger was Ephraim. Now, it says in the scriptures that Jacob or Israel adopted these two boys as his own. And when he went to go bless them and bestow upon them the same blessing that he gave to Joseph, he crossed his hands and put his right hand on Ephraim, giving him the birthright claim to Joseph's inheritance. During the famine and beyond, the whole family of Israel lives just outside of Egypt and Goshen, and they survive the famine and end up staying there for about 400 years. Israel and his children were quite prolific, and they, as you can imagine, had a lot more children. And after a while, these children started to multiply to the point where the Egyptians, especially Egyptian Pharaoh, started to get concerned that the children of Israel were going to take over the kingdom. And this is where we get to the story of Moses. At this point in history, the children of Israel have lost their way a bit, and they are also in bondage to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And Moses, who escaped being killed by Pharaoh as a child, is raised in the house of Pharaoh, and later called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that's a well-known story. I won't go into that. The children of Israel then wander in the wilderness for 40 years, letting the older generation, including Moses, die out because they're so stiff-necked. Remember that the covenant of being saved and preserved is dependent upon the Messiah being their God. And they have rejected the Messiah. Remember, they worship the golden calf. And they're not understanding their part of this covenant. So they wander in the wilderness for 40 years to humble them, to get the children who were raised in the wilderness prepared to receive the promised land and to receive that portion of the covenant. Well, they're led into the promised land by Joshua, the son of Nun, who leads them into Canaan to inherit the promised land once again. And each tribe receives the land except for the Levites who maintain the priesthood and the tabernacle. Now, at this point, there's actually 13 tribes, with Joseph's being split in two between Ephraim and Manasseh. And the people are loosely governed at this point by prophets and by what is termed judges, until they are ruled by Saul, followed by David, and then his son, Solomon. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is a terrible king. And the northern ten tribes rebel, placing Jeroboam on the throne, and Rehoboam is king over the kingdom of Judah, which consists of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and a bit of Manasseh. The northern tribe is called Ephraim and consists of the other 10 tribes. This is where we get some confusion in there because there's 
these different kingdoms, and the kingdoms aren't necessarily the tribes, but they have those tribes in their names as well. So you have the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Ephraim, or the kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom. These two kingdoms battle it out along with the other people uh, surrounding these two kingdoms until about 721 BC, when the Assyrians completely wipe out the kingdom of Ephraim and scatter the 10 northern tribes across their vast kingdom and beyond. This is the scattering of Israel. Now, the Assyrians were not a merciful people. You either did it their way or they did bad things to you. And this is what happened to the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, or Judah, was spared because they listened to the prophets that sound familiar as terms of a theme. However, that did not last all that long because in 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians captured Judah. Now, 16 years later, the Persians conquer the Babylonians and under Cyrus, the Jews are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. Now, just before this, in 600 BC, we know that Lehi, who's of the tribe of Manasseh, left Jerusalem for the promised land here in America. And if you want to read all about that, Jacob chapter 5 is the allegory of the olive tree, and it is discussed very well. If you want some more insight on that, uh, there's a podcast. One of my first podcasts was on Jacob 5. So now, how does this all tie into modern day? We know that the lost 10 tribes were lost because of the Assyrian conquest and that they are scattered here and there. And we also know that the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, also known as the kingdom of Judah, go by Jews, and that also includes a little bit of Manasseh as well, are known even to us today. And eventually they will be converted and gathered into the covenant once again. But we have been commanded to seek out the lost 10 tribes, those part of Israel who will join back to their birthright and to their heritage. But this is not just gathering and finding people who have the right lineage. This is finding people who will believe and accept Christ as their Savior. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, The spiritual gathering takes precedence over the temporal. Men can be saved wherever they live, but they cannot be saved regardless of their abode unless they accept the gospel and come unto Christ. So that's where we are in the modern day. We are gathering Israel, all those who will accept Christ as their Savior, will receive the covenants that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were given, and those three Ps that we talked about earlier. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have been blessed to receive their baptismal covenants are part of the house of Israel. And we have been commanded to gather others into Israel that they may also partake of those covenants and realize the blessings of being sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I hope, and it's my prayer, that each of us will realize that potential and that blessing and that we will fulfill the covenant as well. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've understood uh, a little bit better the history of the children of Israel. And I hope you'll stay tuned for the next podcast, which is going to be uh, chapters 20 through 26 in 3 Nephi, where the Lord continues to talk about 
the writings of Isaiah and also the writings of Malachi and gives us some great insight into the gathering of Israel in our days. As usual, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or to send me a text at 916-412-2136. Thanks and have a blessed day.